goodness, I think we've just gone too far. It's I don't gone know too if we far. Can, we can't, well, we can't. Welcome to this voiceover podcast, folks. Yes, welcome. So what you've missed, um, what we've just edited out at the beginning of this podcast is uh, some like quite graphic and escalating pet horror stories, which we decided was not appropriate for the vast majority of our listeners or even for us. Gerbils eating other gerbils. No, stop, Sorry, stop. sorry. <laughs> I've just sorry. edited all this out. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't have pets and Nick doesn't have pets and we're not sure if that's the reason why, but it might be. Um, <laughs> how uh, are you, though? Uh, how am I? How am I? Um, so I sometimes work, well, quite regularly work as a radio newsreader for BBC Local Radio and for quite a long time they haven't been in touch at all because obviously, what with the pandemic and everything, they sort of rearranged the schedule so that uh, they didn't need as many people and also they had loads of sports staff that needed you know, to be gainfully employed. So uh, I have had no work and it has been quite scary. Um, but they've started ringing up again now because the sport's back on so that's Yay. good I'm, I'm glad about that but it's quite an interesting situation I don't know if I can say this succinctly or not but um, so if you work for the BBC as a freelancer you have to be paid as PAYE which means that as far as the government is concerned for the self-employed pandemic support scheme uh, that stuff is not self-employment even though it definitely is self-employment uh, and so it doesn't count towards your self-employment income and you have to have at least 50% of your income being self-employed in order to qualify for this fund and so thousands of us are just like, well, you're saying I'm self-employed, so I ought to be thinking of getting the money from the place. But actually, you're saying I'm not self-employed, so what about it, guys? And it's been it's been horrific. I'm all right, mostly, but for some people, it's been uh, quite devastating. Quite a devastating time for that oh, reason baby. specifically. BBC, sort it out. Yeah, well, it's the, it's a combination. Like, they're saying that it's the government's responsibility and the government's saying it's the BBC's responsibility. Anyway, the point is, it's all terrible. Uh, it does feel like there's quite a lot of terrible, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's all terrible. And there's, like, there's still the climate. you got to think about the climate. And then there's all the other things that are going on and racism. There's a lot of that about. And so, yeah. But luckily... We are going to make you feel a bit better, aren't we, in this podcast? I hope so. We've got some good news, uh, which is... Uh, hang on a second. Is it a fact about gerbils? <laughs> no, there will be no more facts about gerbils in my vicinity. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so well, later on in the episode, we've got an interview with the One Voice Conference's keynote speaker, Kate Robbins, who's, an, if you don't know, is an actor and comedian and impressionist and a singer and a songwriter. And she's famous for a few things, including her voice work on Spitting Image and also Eurotrash, which was my favourite naughty programme that I definitely <gasps> should have been watching when I was a kid. Oh, my God, yeah. I won a, t- I won a TV in a raffle once and um, I, I got to put it in my bedroom because we already had a TV in the main living room. Wow. And I used to watch Eurotrash on it. That's so funny because while you were watching Eurotrash in your bedroom, I was watching Eurotrash in my bedroom also as a child or a teenager um, on my grandma's old black and white TV wow. <laughs> just like really really quietly <laughs> so everybody could hear <laughs> listening to Kate Robbins doing amazing uh, translations of French and German European housewives in very very strong Merseyside and Geordie accents and the like oh she's great she's great but also in this episode this is kind of like a uh, one voice conference extra bits episode in the last episode, which is all about the One Voice Conference, we went behind the scenes and spoke to the organiser Hugh Edwards about the issue of diversity among speakers. And there's now, I think I think people know now, there's going to be a second One Voice Conference, especially for Americans, and that's happening in August. And so Hugh, together with J. Michael Collins, who's an American voiceover and does some uh, demo reel producing and things, uh, they, they called us up to let us know about the steps they've been taking about this enormous issue of diversity since we last spoke. 
When we spoke on the last podcast, I was uh, I, I got a little upset um, after that because I hadn't realised quite so much how the uh, we had missed the the diversity part, um, and I, I, not making excuses for it, but it was originally a UK conference where we'd nailed the diversity, and then we pivoted it to an online one, and I, it was just my fault. I just didn't see it. You know, we were working to try and match the diversity figures of the general population. Um, but as I say, you know, I, I went away and I thought about it and I, I did a lot of soul searching about why it was and about what we could do to change it. Um, and I did a lot of research into it, you know, and, and then more and more in the press came this kind of knowledge of conscious and unconscious bias. And I think to be, to be quite blunt, um, I think my company and probably myself and probably Peter, although I can't speak for him because he's not here, have suffered from unconscious bias. And once we became aware of that, it was just like a light bulb going off. It's like, actually, this is right. We are like this. We need to do something about this and change the way we fundamentally work. So um, I started talking to, uh, to J. Michael about it. Um, J. Michael has a, a much greater steer on this um, from the American point of view, of course. Uh, and so we just we just changed the structure of how we approached booking people for for the American conference. James, maybe you could talk about it. Well, sure. And I, I think one of the the things to keep in mind about the American market is that uh, it has evolved dramatically, especially over the past ten years, into a market that is more representative of what America looks like today than it did in its past. And if you go back to the voiceover industry in the American market, even twenty twenty five years ago, it was ninety five percent Caucasian, um, and it, it, it there really wasn't any diversity to speak of with with the rare exception of uh, a few usually male, rather quite deep voices. Um, in the past 10 years, that's changed rapidly, and over the past five years, it's accelerated even more. And so we wanted to have a lineup that was as representative of that current market and those trends, and also uh, just, uh, again, for the for the uh, integrity and, um, and honest operation of the conference, I think it's a necessary thing. Uh, so we're really proud that we've got a lineup that incorporates a number of African-American speakers, a number of uh, what we call Latinx now in the U.S. It's the term that we use, Latino speakers. We have uh, several from the LGBTQ plus community as well. And as I go and I look through the sessions, um, you know, it's it's uh, probably around half of the sessions have at least some sort of minority or diversity representation in them. Plus, we're bringing in people who haven't had the chance to have a platform at conferences before uh, and uh, are actually leading lights within the industry, but uh, for whatever reason haven't been given that opportunity in the past, and, and now they're going to have a chance to present and talk about their experience and their journey and uh, what has brought them to prominence in the voiceover industry. So we're, we're, we're very proud of the, uh, of the lineup that we've put together for One Voice USA. There you are. There you are. I think we should take full credit for all of that. Well done, the VoiceOver Social Podcast. It was all us. All us. Well done, us. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. Well done. Yeah, it's pretty good. Although there was something I wanted to... What do you think about this? So I think it's really interesting what he said about that they'd nailed the diversity balance for the UK conference because they were reflecting in the speaker lineup the... 87% 87% white British UK population and I don't know quite how 
I feel about that because I do feel like the voiceover community is sort of along similar lines when I look around at the people who are at our socials and all that sort of thing like that seems to be a similar makeup it's hard this isn't it but um I wonder if I I don't know I don't know what the answer to this is but I wonder if there ought to be more of a leaning towards not just reflecting the UK population and even not just reflecting the population of the voiceover community but perhaps just giving people the opportunity to be more visible people who are already working at the high levels that JMC was talking about in that clip but who aren't getting the platforms give those people a platform on purpose to try and redress the balance and it was interesting what he said as well about in America there were not very many people of colour working in the voiceover community maybe some very deep voiced men he said and yet things have changed now and I would love to know what it is that's different about America versus Britain why are people of colour in Britain not getting the same opportunities or not seeing voiceover as a as a as a um, as a career path for them I don't know. I don't know. I want to know more. I, I don't think I, yeah. I don't know how to know more. <laughs> it feels like something that's come up in a couple of other episodes, like the Coco Mbassi non-native VO episode. Yes, yeah. This this conversation like started, but both of us felt ill-equipped to <laughs> yeah. g- go to sort of get through from the middle to the end of this conversation. And I don't think it is the end because mm. when you say that about giving people a platform in the US One Voice conference that's happening in August. I think that's the important step that needs to be taken, isn't it? It's making deliberate steps to make that diversity more apparent. Mm. Because so much of what I've been reading up on and exploring since all this stuff has become, you know, compounded over the last few weeks, I keep seeing conversations about narrative and the narrative doesn't include enough people of colour. Right. And perhaps, yeah, it's it's, you know, people taking shifts to put more people on the platforms to make that narrative more inclusive that will make the bigger steps moving forward yes moving forward i want to move forward that sounds great (laughs) anyway let us know what you think yes please do let's keep the conversation going because that's what we need isn't it so the next bit of our uh, episode our bonus episode for you is that uh, is is kate robbins so a lot was made about the fact that she was uh, one voice's first female keynote speaker i felt that that was um, that was a big deal and it did it felt like a big deal as well as being talked about a lot so i wanted to find out how important that was to her when i spoke to her but then the first thing that she told me was that she doesn't really think about her gender so that was a good start um anyway uh, don't worry, <laughs> it all worked out in the end. So here she is, the lovely, talented Wonder Woman that is our Kate. No, I don't really, no. I, I think we we always get paid less, that's annoying. Yes. And I think when I was doing Spitting Image for ten years, I think I think the boys got more than us, the cross girls, and that was annoying. But, you know, it's difficult to find out how much people earn, isn't it? It Nobody is a really tell bit. you, but And when you were working um, on Spitting Image, like um, presumably you were involved with the not just the voices, but also the creating. And how much of a... Well... Go on. Yeah, I didn't really... I couldn't say I wrote it, but I would say that I probably added a few little ad-libs and noises and sounds that made the characters sort of stand out, like Fergie. I gave her a silly laugh, you know. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. And the poor woman never did that in her life. No. You know. But um, it was just finding a way of making these really um, grotesque puppets just come to life with a voice, you know. They had to be over the top. They couldn't be um, very accurate impressions. They had to be, like, cartoon impressions, if you know what I mean. Mm. But it was so well paid, and I was having loads of babies at the time, and I remember somebody made the joke when we were working late one night. Somebody said, have you got no second homes to go to? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It was... 
you know, we really did put the hours in, but we, we really were paid well. How did having loads of babies uh, affect what you were able to do? Well, it's the perfect, uh, being a voiceover artist is the perfect thing for having babies, isn't it? Because it only takes an hour to do a voiceover. You can be in and out of town in two and a half, three hours and be back home, you know what I mean? So it was, it was perfect for me and I think that's why I pursued it really. Really? Because I'd lost, yeah, I'd lost a lot of ambition when I started having kids because I didn't really want to go on stage. I certainly didn't want to tour. All that's come back to me now the kids have grown up. i like, oh, yeah, I'll do a tour. You know, I'll do a play. I'll do anything. <laughs> because you, you, I live on my own now. And I, you know, I love getting out and about. But um, when they were growing up, it was really nice to do voiceovers. And I was very lucky, I think, to become one of the most busy people as a voice artist in the 80s and 90s. Did you, did you miss it or...? Or were you just happy to have something that you were doing? Or did you miss being out and about on tour? Um, did I miss performing, you mean? No, yeah. because I, I'd, no, I'd been in a rubbish um, programme called Crossroads. And then I'd had a hit record. <laughs> then I was a pop star. And then I, was, I wasn't very good at being a pop star. What, was, what do you and mean? Then, well, I only had one hit wonder. And um, <laughs> so then I thought, well, I'll do comedy. And, uh, and then I wrote the theme tune to Surprise, Surprise in the middle of all the comedy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, it's been a weird old career, really. I mean, I've done everything naff when you think about it. I've, I've done a theme tune to Surprise, Surprise. I've done Eurovision and I've done Eurotrash. <laughs> I, oh, my God, I loved Eurotrash so much. I got a format fee for that programme because it was my idea to do regional British accents rather than wow, dubbing great. them in the um, original country that they came from, you know. So it's funny, though, because what I was paid... When I think about, I don't mind talking about money. Um, when I was paid for, I used to get a grand for doing spitting image. I used to get about a grand for doing uh, Eurotrash. I, I don't. I think now you don't. You, you know, you struggle to get that on a on a decent program, and that was yeah. all those years ago, twenty odd years ago. So it just think, shows you about inflation and you know and stuff like that. Did I? Do you think you, that when you know that you know you said that you were being paid less than the men and you knew that was the case? How yeah. do you think that? How did that affect you, or did it? Well, no, you took. I mean, in those days, nobody complained about it, but you you were aware of it. I don't know. It's terrible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just assuming that a woman get less, although because I'd done quite well and I'd had two series of my own and I was employing lots of people. I made sure I employed lots of women, you know what I mean? Um, did and, you? you know, I, yeah, I did, actually. I had a female producer, sometimes I had a female director. I'd, I, I've sort of always been a feminist without really sort of going around saying I am. And I've yes. always, as I say, I've never really thought about my sex. I just think of me as Kate and I just, I'm a bossy boots and I get things done. But um, <laughs> I don't really sort of think about, I'm certainly not the tender sex, put it that way. <laughs> no way, me neither. But um, so when you were surrounding yourself with women to work with, what do you think that added or changed or why why do you th- what was driving that do you think oh I think that's an interesting question I think it's because I wanted to do sketches about women's things sometimes not not I wouldn't say going as far as periods or anything <laughs> but you know I would do pregnancy sketches or um being married you know and I wanted to put the the woman's perspective on it rather than just being the girl in the sketch you know mm. I, I just made sure that women had a say in the comedy and and also, uh, there weren't very many... There was only Victoria Wood and Dawn um, French and Saunders around, mm. who were, you know, Victoria was a dear friend of mine. And I was lucky enough to be in Dinner Ladies with her. I know, playing, I loved you it. You know, playing Babs. But, um, you know, apart from Vic, Victoria and 
Dawn and Jen, Jennifer, um, they weren't that... Oh, there was Jenny Eclair as well, who mm. became my mate, and I went on tour with her. Yes. Apart grumpy from women. them... Grumpy women. Yeah, grumpy old women. But there weren't that many women around who were funny, and yet there's so many, so much more now. Mm. And my own daughter being one of them, you know, um, Emily Atak. Yeah. You know, she's... Um, She's she does comedy now and she's doing a series and she's got loads going on and um yeah I mean it's it's more power to yeah I think Catherine Tate was a good um good marker in the nineties wasn't it late nineties early mm. you think that's when things changed um I think just people started realizing that women were funny I don't know it's 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 always been a man's world comedy really um, I'm trying to think of the women do you know who I loved when I was growing up I mm. mean. Well, I didn't actually in the 70s. She wasn't funny, but I used to look at the old 1950s, 1960s black and whites of Lucille Ball. Oh, yes. And she was brilliant because she was very physical and pulled faces and didn't she didn't care if she looked a bugger. You know, she just sort of (laughs) went for it. And I love that about her. And um, I always thought if I have my own show, I want to be like Lucille Ball, you know, and she was she was brilliant. Yes, I've seen some of that. It's beautiful yeah. stuff. I love it. You, in fact, yeah. you mentioned um, your daughter in the keynote or maybe it was in the Q&A um, where you said that you told her not to let herself get pigeonholed as an impressionist. Yeah, I did. Tell me about that because, conversation. Yeah, because um, I I always I don't really like to call myself an impressionist because first of all I'm getting on a bit now and I think it's a bit embarrassing to be doing impressions when you're in your sixties. <clears throat> what are you uh, talking about? Really? Why do you feel that way? Why? Because there aren't that many people to do impressions of. There's only Kim Woodburn, my <laughs> my age group, you know, and the Queen. There's not many. You know what I mean? All the women are younger, so I can't really do Gemma Collins as well as my daughter can. But mm. I said to her. If you're going to do, you know, you're going to do them, just do little tiny vignettes like Steve Coogan used to do. Just keep it, keep it as a little party piece that's nice to pull out occasionally. Do not let things get overtaken with impressions. Because, because I used to get invited onto chat shows and, and, and the first thing people would say, it's really sort of insensitive, but they'd just go... Go on, do an impression. Oh, go on. It's like saying, tell us a joke. Tell us a joke, exactly. Oh, no. Or sing us a song. Oh. Yeah, if you're a singer. <laughs> it's just a bit like, ugh. So I just say to her, just throw them in occasionally. Don't boil your cabbages twice, as my <laughs> mum used to say. And just keep it, keep it sort of something that people go, oh, isn't that funny when she did that voice, mm. you know. And that's how Steve Coogan used to be when he was on Spitting Image. I remember Steve Coogan turning round to me and John Thompson who was a new boy on Spitting Image. Mm. And we'd finished um, an episode and he said, uh, we were like, right, come on. It was, I remember it was summer and it was like, we're going for a beer or whatever. And he said to us, uh, what's your five-year plan? <laughs> Me and John looked at each other and went, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to the pub. <laughs> um, then we're going home. <laughs> and, you know, that's that was the difference, I suppose, between somebody like Coogan, who was completely, completely career driven. Mm. And me and John just weren't. We were like, <laughs> don't really care that much. Yeah. Um, so what was I going to say to you? I forgot what it was now. Um, yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned that um, there's more comedy opportunities available for Emily. But what what else do you think? Is, how have things changed for her? How is her experience well, different? Well, she's an interesting case because so she, my cat, the cat's mother. <laughs> but Emily is an interesting case because she's came from glamour right the in-betweeners she played yes. that sort of glamorous girl in the in-betweeners yeah. but she so, so so she had to fight against being pretty in a way 
and also she's highly intelligent but not public school kind of oxbridge right 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 you know she went to an ordinary comprehensive all my kids went to comprehensive schools they're all yeah. very bright but they she's sort of classless if you know what i mean i mean i'm working class but my kids were sort of both i suppose they were slightly middle class because they brought up in a nice big house but they i was always you know i always sort of wanted them to be normal if you know what i mean mm. so she went into comedy against all these posh girls who were a bit like, you know, sort of footlights at Cambridge, yeah. And she wasn't that at all. Um, and I think it's great that she's sort of made her name just for being funny and just being naturally witty, you know, um, and be, and being attractive. I think it's great that she can do both. Well done. I do both. I'm I'm both. I'm and you're it's both, really, Nick. We're all it's both. It's really hard being incredibly beautiful and incredibly funny all of the time. But you know, I just try and live a live a normal life. Yeah. Uh, what else should we say? What should we say to people about uh, about what they could do next? What do you mean generally in life or of what we're doing? What's your favourite thing that people ought to do in order to be more connected to us? Oh, uh, they could review us. Oh, yeah. Oh, please do review us. We love reviews so much. Every now and then I check on Apple Podcasts to see if there's a new one. And when there is, it's such a thrill. So please do. If you haven't yet reviewed us, go to, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or in fact Podchaser, I've learned recently. And you can write reviews for all those places. Um, Or you can just uh, tell somebody to listen to us because, you know, referrals are are great. Yes. And I I guess it's useful if there are voiceover uh, or if you're doing it on your social media and if you have lots of voiceovers following you. Um, But also you can get people that aren't voiceovers to listen to it because I know for a fact that my brother listens to this podcast and he's a postman and quite likes it. But he has a Uh, lot of time to fill. So does your dad. Yeah, and he's retired and has a lot of time to fill as well. So, yeah, people who have lots of time aren't doing much else apart from walking around or DIY. (laughs) Tell those people. They're going to love us. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, uh, I mean, I've been Liam Marks. And I've been Nick Redman. And there's a little bit of a delay using the method we are currently using to record. So let's give it a go, see what happens. We We are the the voiceover voiceover social. social. (laughs) Together till the end of the 